Hey everyone, how's it going? Um, yeah, so uh, we have Sean Campbell with us, the return return visit, and Q's going to be joining us soon. But uh, Sean, if you're around, feel free to unmute. I hope everything's going well with you. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. Uh, everything's going good with me. Thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, always enjoy talking about some of the work I'm doing. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I'm kind of glad we didn't get to do it right away like I first wanted because uh, an interesting wrinkle happened with the Candace Owen thing. <laughs> I kind of wanted to get your thoughts about that at some point uh, as well. I don't know if you saw with, uh, Candace Owen uh, showing up at her house. And that's one of those moments where it's like I have no idea who I want to root for in that in that encounter. It's uh, very bizarre. Yeah. 
bizarre sideshow uh, happening, but we can get to that uh, later. I just wanted to, um, you know, ask you first how things have been going since the article uh, came out. And also, you don't have to wait for us in the audience for us to, um, you know, invite you up. You can start lining up in the queue from now if you want, if you have questions about uh, the article. Uh, yeah, things have been going uh, pretty good. Um, you know, I'm glad that we were able to report on the house and get that information out there because people had had concerns, um, you know, about how some of the money was being spent. And this was kind of an inside look at, you know, at least um, $5.8 million uh, that had been given to the organization. And from best we could tell, they were keeping it under wraps. Uh, and there's other resources and things that were allocated specifically for Patrice Colors, like security um, and uh, staffing um, that were basically monitoring her home residences. So uh, that was it's interesting to find out about that. And I'm glad we were able to get it out there for people to react to because, you know, this, these are things that people have been asking questions about for a while now. Um, and we are able to get some good documentation in around this particular person. Uh, um, before I proceed, I wanted to just uh, welcome Q, Q to the stage and see how he's doing. Yeah, sorry for the wait. It just uh, took a little while for the app to start working correctly. Uh, doing much better than I was last week, though. That's good to hear. Yeah, uh, Q had a little bit of an injury. Uh, yeah, someone just came in the queue and the Oh, he's disappeared himself. Uh, yeah, someone just came to the queue and uh, disappeared, so feel free to come back up. I don't know what happened. I did not kick you out, so something nah, really good. happened. In the... It's all good. I'm back. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there, but yeah. I. Uh... Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, no, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking oh. about someone in the queue. So someone showed okay. up in the queue and it disappeared, and that's why I'd love to know if it seems it got kicked out. I didn't kick him out. like, oh, we don't give a fuck about you. <laughs> yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. No. Uh, the question I wanted to ask Sean to start with is, uh, what was it like between the first and the second story? Because um, were you always planning the second story? Did the story, did the thing fall into your lap and then you decided, oh, there's more to return to here? Like, were you always planning to come back, come back to this uh, and dig deeper? Or were you tipped off to something or was there some kind of leak? I'm just curious about how the second story came about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a mixture of all those things. I, I spoke to uh, a few dozen people for the first article um, and through my sources and other people I'd spoken with and then people reaching out to me, uh, I became aware of this property. And uh, then it was a matter of basically tracking down the purchase and the ownership of it. Uh, I had been planning to continue to follow the reporting as I still am doing, just as information comes, I speak with people, I, I try to learn more about the situation. So I was gonna do that regardless, I do that for every story. Um, but for this, there was this curious property that had emerged through talking with people and also learning additional details. Uh, and then seeing that the property was purchased by a person who was financial manager for both uh, Patrice Colors and uh, Damon Turner through their LLCs, uh, that was a clear line of uh, ownership. Uh, and then also seeing that that home was then transferred over to 
an LLC. Uh, so there were legitimate, or not legitimate, but there were literal uh, receipts for this transaction that had people's names on it. And uh, that was a, an interesting wrinkle in that. And then also what developed with the story was after reaching out to them just about the property and some of the things that I had known, because I had had some information from a security hub where there were members within Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter security team. And there were about a dozen people who had access to the security hub. I'd learned uh, um, exactly how the house was being used and, or I shouldn't say exactly, but I had a good idea of how the house was being used and also uh, the resources that were going towards it. Um, one of the things when, you know, that was, I found in my first reporting was Patrice Colors' personal YouTube channel. And some of the things on that YouTube channel were very interesting. And just some of the things that they were saying, even how I, I led that story. And I was something where I was kind of curious why they would be saying these things or even talking about it in such a way, knowing that uh, the, the conversation that I led and closed that article with uh, was happening in the midst of Patrice Colors being called out for owning multiple properties, which there's no law saying a person can't own their own properties, but uh, or can purchase properties. But if you're using fun, funds from donors, that's where things start to get sticky. Uh, but then, once I found out about this house, and I started looking at some of the real estate photos that were up, then that connected with my mind for these these images that I'd seen from her YouTube channel, where I could just see, oh, that Italian marble fireplace, that's the fireplace where her, Melina Abdullah, and Alicia Garza are having a conversation about uh, the year since George Floyd's murder, like kind of a retrospective conversation where uh, some of the things they were saying, I was, I was really surprised um, that they were uh, just just talking about those things. Um, uh, so Something... And this is not to discount from your investigative reporting skills in any way, but something that kind of surprised me in the article and that I'm getting a sense of from hearing you speak today is that um, this wasn't the most sophisticated um, laundering or attempt to kind of hide the stuff. Like it, it just seemed like, the kind of thing where if someone just took the time to make a good faith effort, it was just right kind of there. Like it wasn't even very well, if the intent was to kind of hide this stuff, which it seems to kind of be based on their response to these articles, they didn't really seem to make much of an effort to be sophisticated about doing it more. They just kind of seem to rely on nobody giving them a hard look, I guess, in the non-right-wing non-right-wing media. And I was wondering if that assessment of mine is um, kind of... Is accurate? Uh, yeah, so exactly. I, I would say for this particular purchase, it's not. Um, I mean, they there were things that were done and sometimes even when you buy properties, especially if you're going to be using them for commercial use, it's not uncommon to transfer them to LLCs. But it's also a way of obfuscating ownership. So for this, you know, you have to know who uh, Dane Paschal is uh, and that he had bought a home and then do a real estate search for that. 
So, you know, there's probably a handful of people who've even seen that name and would think to look for his name for a real estate purchase. So, you know, even if their mainstream media was looking for this, they wouldn't have been able to surface this particular property. And part of the reason why this wasn't one of the properties that was surfaced earlier uh, was that it wasn't directly connected to uh, Patrice Colors through her name. So the other properties, her name was directly on that. The uh, 1.4 million Topanga Canyon residence was purchased through uh, an LLC that had her name on it as the agent. So there was a clear line there, and those story, and those, that's why those stories were found and written. Uh, that was gotcha. actually, I believe, um, first surfaced by a kind of a Hollywood tabloid real estate site where they that's their thing is they just find new home purchases and put out information so they were able to first surface the 1.4 million and then uh new york post and uh, i believe washington examiner also found additional homes uh, that were directly connected but for this property there this went through another person who unless you knew who this person was and you had been looking at the business documents uh, like I had for the first story, I had all these things downloaded and um, I was looking for connections uh, you wouldn't necessarily uh, been able to find. I think it would actually have been very hard, if not uh, impossible to find, to be perfectly honest. And part of me zeroing in on it was the sources that I had. So I had additional information to verify um, and to also narrow my search. Because uh, in the whole, there's literally hundreds of thousands of homes in California to look through um, and even doing a refined search. So, um, it, you know, it, it would be hard to track it down uh, just out of the blue, not impossible, but difficult. Um, and it was in some ways difficult for me to really get in on the provenance of this home being purchased with BLM funds. Uh, and at the end of the day, I knew it was purchased with BLM funds because I had sources that had confirmed that when I reached out to them. So that at the very end, knowing that the home, uh, even though I knew Dane Paschal had purchased it, there was a law firm that was associated with the BLM Global Network Foundation. And I also wanna be very clear about that too. I, I usually start off any interview with that. And for anyone who's on the call, that what we're talking about here is we're talking about the Global Network Foundation, uh, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. This is not the movement. The movement is for better or worse, taken on the name of Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter as a movement is separate from this organization. There are dozens of local grassroots organizers that use the name Black Lives Matter uh, that are not connected to the Global Network Foundation. Uh, and they had no knowledge of this purchase until I had surfaced it. Uh, so with that uh, out of the way, you know, there's a, a a fair amount of pieces that had to be tied together uh, and then being confronted. I, I wouldn't even say confronted. Uh, part of when I was putting this reporting together for this article, I reached out to the BLM, GNF, uh, Shalomia Bowers and Patrice Colors to ask about the property. And I basically just laid it out that I knew that this property had been purchased uh, it was purchased by Dane Paschal, who was um, financial manager for Janiah and Patrice Consulting and also CFO for Trap Heels LLC, which was uh, LLC owned 
uh, or by Damon Turner, the father of Patrice Cullors' child, uh, and that I had also, through my sourcing, found uh, or yeah, been been uh, alerted to these NDAs where various people had signed, including uh, Patrice Cullors' uh, mother and sister. So I laid all that out to them and just asked them how the house is used. And I also knew that from looking at real estate photos that Patrice Cullors had been using this for her personal YouTube channel to film uh, over a dozen videos. Uh, and it was after asking them that that I was alerted to them immediately springing into a damage control kind of a mode, uh, which we discussed in the article where we even got a memo as to how they were going to deal with the reporting on this. And within that, they immediately, or I won't say immediately, but they um, admitted to people within the organization, because not everyone knew about this property, that yes, it was purchased with BLM funds. So that last little piece of even that funds from Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation uh, being purchased for this actually came from within the house itself or not the, the organization itself. Uh, so there's there's a lot that went into gathering and piecing together uh, what this home was. You know, there wasn't uh, there are no allegations really in the story. These are all just facts uh, that. I pieced together, put together, and put them all into one story. That's one interesting thing that I found while people have talked about this, and even as the organization has tried to explain the residence, is that there are numerous allegations in the story. And my response to that has been, will continue to be, there's outside of the expert comments, there are no allegations. Uh, there's no opinion. These are straight facts. The home was purchased, Dane Paschal and the organization, and has since admitted was purchased with Black Lives Matter funds. Uh, the conversation for all of its, uh, you know, all the things they talked about that were quoted in the article, they said those things. There's video evidence of that and um, uh, 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 that this was used by Patrice Cullors. Uh, so... Also, that she had stayed at the residence. Uh, Malina Abdullah had also stayed at the residence. So these are all these are all facts. The fact that no one, or not no one, but many within the organization also didn't know about it. That's another just straight fact. Uh, they there were a handful of people that knew about this property and that were doing security for this property. Um, and then after I reached out and they kind of went into this damage control mode that then they uh, started to um, figure out how they were going to talk about it. And one of the things they talked about is that they were, well, we could say that this is a artisan residency program, that we're using it as an influencer house, and that uh, um, if they released that then and gave that to another outlet, then that would deflate the story. That was the exact language they had used there was that they wanted to deflate the story by breaking that this was an artist in residence house. Now, how much of this always going to be an artist in residence house? I can't say that for certain. I can say it was 17 months uh, from the purchase to the announcement of the artist in residence and influencer house. And that that was specifically 
you released at the time it was released as a tactic to deflate the story itself. Also, how many, um, how much influencer stuff was done in the house um, in that 17 months? Like, 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 I guess it's a two-part question. First, I don't fully understand why being an influencer house would be so much better. Like, if you're going to try to make yourself look good, like, um, yeah, well, haha, jokes on you. This is an influencer house. Like, I just don't see how that's in any way better. But let's say, let's say for some reason being an influencer house was a good thing. I guess the second part of my question is, Trevor? Hey, the big guy. Hey, could, hey you, you broke you the second part of my question is not even cut out. Oh, question. okay. Yeah, no, the second part of my question is, uh, let's say we take for face value that there is a valid use for, of the house to be influencer house. What I want to know then is how actively were they using it as an influencer house? Like what was actually um, being done in that 17 months um, that, you know, would justify that, nearly six million dollar um expenditure like i think i heard you mention 17 videos or something uh it was a it's over a dozen i think it uh, i don't want to I, I think it was a maybe 15 um um i'm not i don't, I don't have so, the exact number in front of me but it, was over but, a but dozen it comes videos. but it comes out to less than one video a month uh basically roughly yeah yeah uh, okay 17 months of the home being purchased uh so to answer the first part is that uh, it is actually very important that it is uh, at least being designated as an influencer house because one of the things for nonprofit governance is that a nonprofit cannot buy uh, property or any kind of materials for a private individual and that private I understand. sole uh, use um, or give money to a private individual. You can't just give that money out. You can pay people, that's all reported on your 990s, which we're still waiting to see. Uh, but um, if it wasn't an influencer house uh, or a house that would be used to advance the movement in some way, uh, and it was just for Patrice Colors or other private individuals within the organization, then that's an issue. That's, a, that's, a, that's an issue with nonprofit governance. Um, with it being an influencer house, then it becomes an issue, uh, as one of the experts said in the story of, was this a strategic use of funds? Uh, because there's so many other things you can spend nearly $6 million on. Is an influencer house the best way to advance social and racial justice? You know, that's debatable. But the influencer uh, house is more and, about complying with the uh, nonprofit laws more than trying to sell people on this is the best use of the house. It's more kind of to avoid legal issues. I mean, I can't say that for one way or the other. Um, I can say that it being an influencer house and the stated use that they've said, uh, that is in line with nonprofit governance and gotcha. the mission of Black Lives Matter, um, a Global Network Foundation, because it is uh, for open use within the nonprofit, not one individual or a handful of individuals. And in, you can say that it being an influencer house in some way could advance social and racial justice. Um, but now again, to the point of 
is it strategic, which gets to the point of your second question, is this the best way to spend that money there? And as we mentioned in the article, you know, there are community organizers within the Black Lives Matter movement that have in some ways dedicated their life to advancing social and racial justice to the point where they've gone homeless. They can't feed themselves. Um, they're struggling. Uh, I, I mentioned Tori Russell in the story who had been working just to come in, get a community center in Ferguson and he's struggling to get that. And that was, you know, a fraction of the cost of this one property that isn't centrally located. It isn't uh, in a bustling area. This was a private residence or for more, you know, in a private neighborhood, basically. Um, and that they hadn't told anyone about it uh, was another, another issue. So um, it being a good use of funds, that's debatable. Uh, and some people have even said, well, yeah, it's, we're, we're, all, we're all for, I think, it, I think they're in the minority, but they're, they're all for Black Lives Matter, Global Network Foundation, owning property. Um, I think you have some, ex, some experts uh, before you would ever make a purchase like this, you'd probably want a office space uh, or something that was a public-facing uh, kind of um, property before moving to getting a uh, essentially a mansion with a sound studio uh, that's a, a sh relatively short drive from all the uh, movie studios. So um, there you know, the, on most of the forums for Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, the address is a mailbox, it's not even a, an office space. So that's, a, that's an issue of strategic use of funds. And when people donate to nonprofits, you know, you should, as a donor, know that your money is going to advance the mission. Like you should know that your money is going towards the thing that you're donating for. But after that, and a lot of experts will say this, you don't have a say over how the money is being spent after you've given it. It's up to the leaders, it's up to the organization itself to determine what they think is the best use of that money. Uh, now, if you don't like the way that the organization, any organization is spending the money, then you don't have to give them the money. Um, now, in terms of how much the house was being used, as far as I could tell, and uh, the from what I've seen from the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation since the story's published, uh, the most influencing that was done was through Patrice Colors' personal YouTube channel, which um, there could be a question there about how much this would be a part of an artisan residency program as opposed to, uh, again, a private individual using uh, this nonprofit's property for their own personal uses. but her videos could be uh, viewed as um, advancing social and racial justice, even if somewhat nominally in a small amount. Uh, but outside of that, and it was also used for safe house, um, or stated safe house use by uh, Patrice Colors and uh, Melina Abdullah. So those are also in line with the mission of uh, Black Lives Matter. You know, you want to protect your people if they feel endangered. Um, if we talk about strategic use, a $6 million safe house um, is a pretty steep price when there are plenty of other homes that uh, could serve the same purpose for a, a much smaller 
uh, cost. So got you. Uh, that's. And- and I want to give uh, Jeremy a chance to uh, um, hop in. Uh, I was about to go to Rennie first, but Rennie disappeared. So if Rennie, if you're out there, if you want to come back up, I'll get to you faster next time. But uh, Jeremy, feel free to unmute and uh, share your thoughts or ask your questions. The unmute button's on the lower right in case you need to find it. Save like a microphone with a line through it. Just tap that button and you're good to go. Oh, listen and Jeremy got out of here. All right. Uh, you know, I did want to ask um, something real quick. What has been your finding about the difference between the response to this first article and the second article as far as, I mean, from the outside looking in, I feel like this one seems to have gotten more traction or public awareness in the first one, even though the first one did get some, um, definitely got some, made some waves. And I was, I was wondering if my outside perception, you would agree with it, you know, based on your end of it. Oh yeah, definitely. This, this, uh, story had a much larger reach than the first story. Uh, the, the first story did have a large reach and that also went in the, uh, special issue dedicated to Trayvon Martin of the 10 year memorial for, uh, or not, yeah, the, the, the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Um, so this one, I think it had a larger, um, reach and impact, um, in part because this was a direct line of BLM funds. BLM GNF funds being used to purchase a residence that until I reached out to the organization was only used for Patrice Colors and Malina Abdullah. It uh, wasn't being used in larger uh, movement issues and was also not known to a lot of people, even within the global network itself. Uh, there were people that were surprised even as they were working on their um, uh, uh, response to the article before the article had even started to be uh, you know, finalized or anything like that. I Me mean, just asking the questions there and then them jumping into a kind of a, uh, an emergency mode. Um, there were people that were very surprised to learn of it and then how they were going to deal with the property. Uh, and then it also does raise questions about how the property is and was going to be recorded on the organization's tax documents, which they still have not filed, at least last time I checked and last time I, I, I reached out to the IRS. Um, they, they well, they couldn't tell me if they have or haven't received them, but they haven't been um, released on the IRS's website yet. So um, there was even questions about how and if they were going to record uh, the house, uh, the property uh, on their 990s. Uh, so these were things that people were unaware of um, and even just getting some clarification uh, within the members. Like, so, okay, so now we know that this property exists and that it was purchased with BLM funds. How is it used? How are we going to use this? Uh, we're going to say that it was a um, an arts and residency program, um, but how, what, are, what, things do we have in motion to actually 
get 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 started with the artist in residency program. Uh, so these are all sorts of things that um, started to uh, percolate uh, within the Global Network Foundation after I just started asking the questions and then continued after uh, the publication. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, even after the first story, there's a lot of there were a, a lot of talk and confusion around where money was, how money was being spent, uh, and what exactly it was being used for. Now, with this story, this property is a concrete example of what BLM funds were used for. And it also, in a lot of ways, flies in the face of all the organizers who have been struggling to feed themselves and house themselves or even um, open up their own community centers for a much lower cost. So all of those things together, I think, added up to this having a larger reach. There's just a concrete example that there isn't any question because it's, it, again, the story's all facts. This house was purchased with BLM funds and the only videos that were produced at the residence uh, for the 17 months until the article published, those were only uh, Patrice Colors. So uh, all those things together, um, really, I think, uh, crystallized a lot of questions that people had had about the organization after the first article and even before that, because these these are questions that people within uh, the movement have been asking of the organization for years. And I, I mentioned that in the article as well, I have numerous sources. There, there's questions going back to 2016 um, the first grumblings of um, the movement even being called Black Lives Matter, uh, that was, um, so the organization was confronted on that in 2015, um, where there were local organizers that were beginning to get upset that the people which eventually formed the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation were putting it out there that they or making it seem like they were the movement themselves. And there were, all, there were a lot of these grassroots organizers, especially those in Ferguson, who were not using the label Black Lives Matter and that they were have it being subsumed into uh, this uh, organization when they had no intention of being part of it. They've been doing their own work and they wanted to continue their own work. They wanted to work with the people with Black Lives Matter, but they weren't that group themselves. Um, and then you fast forward a couple of years and the movement's called Black Lives Matter and the questions are still there. There's chapters now, there's groups that have the name Black Lives Matter and there are numerous cities um, by one report released by the organization back in uh, 2017. There were 40, 44, 45 chapters um, and they were using the work done by the local chapters to help solicit more funds. and questions within the organization or within the, the the network now that consists of dozens of chapters that have the name Black Lives Matter uh, wanted to know where if, if they could get some transparency around the financials because they knew money was coming in and they weren't seeing much of it. So um, even though with all these questions and things being shifted around and there's always um, 
you know, an, an air of um, murkiness. Uh, in this case, with this property, there is no murkiness. It's all right there. There's documentation behind it. I We chose not to put the address or link to the documents in the story um, because we don't want to be, you, we don't want to dox anyone. We just want and need to confirm that there is uh, the property that was purchased for BLM funds, which we did. Um, other newsrooms did release photos and things like that, but we chose not to um, because the important thing was just knowing and proving that uh, the property itself, how it was used and where the funds came from. Um, so that's why I think this this story took off more. I mean, if we're talking retweets and things like that, you know, it's it had a much larger reach. Uh, something I wanted to know related to something you just said is the morale. I was wondering what the morale is like among these local, these local organizations. And I know about a third of them during the pandemic had kind of left from the network altogether and just um, started their own thing. But have you had any feedback or had any sense of what the reaction among the remaining local chapters are, if there are rumblings of more secessions, if people have been mostly standing by them, if they've been blindsided, if they've been supportive for the most part? So um, there have been, as a result of the lack of transparency around finances, uh, there's been growing discontent within the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation uh, since going back to, again, 2015, 2016. Um, and that 45 number that I had mentioned in the report in 2017, uh, when you look fast forward to 2020, when they have a list of chapters that are on the actual website, uh, the number drops to, uh, I believe it was 17, 18 chapters. So the number cut down almost in half. Uh, and then when it comes down to uh Late 2020, uh, there were the BLM 10, the chapters that were affiliated with the Global Network Foundation speaking out about these exact issues, saying that we wanted, we've been asking about financial transparency and all the things that uh, we've reported on in the first and second story um, and not getting much information about how money is spent, where it's being spent. Uh, so there've been growing discontent there. And then after 2020, we're down to about six, maybe seven chapters that are formally affiliated or formally um, uh, associated with the Global Network Foundation. So the number of chapters that have been aligning themselves with the Global Network has been shrinking for years. Um, now, if we talk about uh, morale, uh, the local organizers are still doing their work as far as I can tell from talking with people, um, but obviously they're upset. Uh, they're, they're upset that money is being spent in, in, for this property in particular um, when it could have been spent uh, in other ways. And in the article, I mentioned uh, Tory Russell um, Ferguson, and he um, had been in contact and um, worked with the 
original founders of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, Patrice Colors, Alicia Garza, Obel Tometi, uh, Io, um, since basically the Ferguson in 2015, working with Mike Brown Sr. So uh, I told him about it. I mean, he, he said he was depressed. Like he just flat out said it made him feel depressed when he thinks about all the work that he's done in Ferguson that he's trying to do and struggling to get enough money together for a community center that would do all the things and could do all the things that this one property um, is saying that it does uh, and more. And he can't even get the money together for that. And it's less than a fourth the cost. Um, it, you know, it, it bothered him a lot. And he had stronger words to say. I mean, I think he said that he felt that they should be shunned for using the money in this way. Um, so he was upset. Other local organizers are upset. Uh, but also, they're still doing the work. So you can be upset with the organization, but the people in the movement, the people who are dedicated to the movement, they're still getting up every day and doing the work to advance social and racial justice, um, even as they've been speaking out against the organization. Uh, so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as well. Uh, and that's why I like to start every interview or any talk about this, that the organization isn't the movement, because the people within the movement that were doing the work and have been doing the work, they're still continuing to do the work. They're upset that funds were raised in their name or may have been raised in their name and they haven't seen much of that. Um, but at the end of the day, they still are committed to the cause and they still go out there and um, do what they can to advance social racial justice, plan protests, uh, do community actions. Um, so in that way, it's harder for them, but um, harder for them to really think about the work they're doing and how their struggles are when there's other organization that's um, still maintains a lot of prominence um i mean, I mean something more. i have something i have to wonder is uh i mean i understand that the organization is not the movement but something i have to wonder and this is probably something you yourself can't answer but maybe you have impressions or maybe a caller can give their impressions i wonder if despite the organization not being the movement if after a while the organization is going to kind of so contaminate the slogan that the movement's going to need another name altogether. Because, you know, some people are kind of split on that. Some people say, hey, the organization is not the movement, so I'm going to keep saying Black Lives Matter. And then some people say, I don't even want to use the words Black Lives Matter because that just encourages people who aren't doing their homework or whatever to just do the easy thing and just donate money to the global network whenever they just want to, because that, that's what was happening during the George Floyd thing. You just people, BTS, John Cena, corporations, these, they hear that this is called the Black Lives Matter movement. They hear these are called the Black Lives Matter protests. So when they want to just cut a check, uh... yeah, um, so I think I, I think I get where you're you're going at with this, um, and you know I I can't read the future. I don't think anyone can read the future, um, and there's some things you can't really speculate on. But um, 
I will say even the phrase, the phrase Black Lives Matter is probably one of the strongest statements we can make during this time. And it is still possible for people to align with the movement, everything that it stands for, to aid and dedicate their time and effort to local organizers. Um, and if they don't like how money is being spent or the transparency or any of the other potential issues with the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, they don't have to give to that organization. They can go to other organizations. And I, I think the important thing is to not allow the continued, continued conflation of the two. There can be a Black Lives Matter movement, and it does not have to be associated with, or it does not have, it doesn't have to be uh, believed to be the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation any more than there's the movement for Black Lives or any other uh, organization out there that uses similar language. Yeah, I do agree. I just think it is um, more likely to be conflated uh, as long as they share the same name. But at the end of the day, that's up That's up to them. And if they feel it doesn't hurt um, the perception of the local movements, then, yeah. you know, and uh, I, I, yeah, I, just, I can't say otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, you know, um, part of, I think, as what, however people feel about this is, to speak out if there is a conflation that's going on. If there is any talk about stories about the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation being uh, uh, being perceived or being talked about as being a story about the movement, um, people don't have to go along with that. And I do something I have noticed more with this second article than with the first article is there's being more pushback from that, uh, where as much as there might be uh, things put out in social media or talks about how the story is an attack against the movement, uh, more people are saying, no, this isn't an attack against the movement. This is an article about you and your organization. What is your response to this? I've seen a lot more of those comments now with the second article than I have with the first article. And I think if the, that kind of conversation continues to happen, I think that in the long run can be a good thing. Uh, it is, it's unfortunate for the movement when these kinds of stories come out. And I think these stories are important because the truth is my number one thing. That's my job is to get at the truth. Um, but we see this uh, across sectors. Uh, if you look at humanitarian aid, anytime there's an issue with one humanitarian aid organization, uh, the whole uh, um, the whole field of humanitarian aid suffers in donations. Um, but in the long run, things tend to get better because a lot of the issues that weren't being addressed before those stories start to get addressed. They're not even close to being fixed, but things get better. Similarly, even to take it into uh, and I know you want to say something just to get one last point out there. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly to like the corporate sphere, uh, similar th you see similar things with um, planes. When planes crash, the whole market for flights suffers. And that's because people associate, they don't think Delta, they don't think Boeing, they think I'm flying on a plane. Um, but 
when those things happen, it then forces the industry itself to get better at making sure planes don't fall out of the sky and keeping people safe. Uh, so in the short term, it can be, uh, it can have um, effects that are difficult to go through, but in the long run, it tends to make the system itself stronger because it addresses issues that are being unaddressed. And yeah, I just wanted to make sure that Rennie had a chance to talk because he waited so patiently the last time and then uh, he ended up having to disappear and I want to make sure that he got to uh, say what he wanted to say. So yeah, by all means, Rennie, feel free to unmute and ask your question. Appreciate that. Um, thank you both. Um, thank you all for um, having this conversation. I actually had to leave because I had to um, read my son his his bedtime story. But uh, yeah, I, I had I wasn't I hadn't left because I was waiting too long. I just want to clear it up. But thank you uh, for mentioning that. Um, uh, but again, yeah, I appreciate the conversation. Um, I had a question for Sean. Uh, Sean, I definitely appreciate the work you're doing. Um, as someone who has been like deeply critical of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, from its genesis, uh, I really, you know, I've, I've been deeply critical. So, you know, I'm not trying to in, in any way, you know, let them off the hook. Uh, but because I've been like really engaging in like um, in researching like counterinsurgency lately for at least the past three, four months, I kind of wonder, like, how do you sort of feel about the ways in which uh, particular uh, forces that may be, you know, in power are looking to sort of like, you know, create certain narratives, um, you know, distort, you know, certain documents. Um, and the reason why I bring this question up is because like, Within some of my research, like I've, you know, like for example, like Huey's dissertation, Huey P. News dissertation, War and the Panthers, like one of the things he constantly talks about is like how certain agencies would, uh, you know, create certain documents, send certain le um, letters, and like sort of like forge these kind of um, these narratives that sort of like create, uh, you know, a lot of uh, doubt. And so, you know, and one example he gave is like when he first got out of jail. Um, it was basically they put out a letter to suggest that he was living in a penthouse suite and he was living large and lavish uh, while, you know, the rest of the Panther offices were being decimated and destroyed around the country. And so, I, and again, I'm not letting Black Lives Matter off the hook in, in any way. My question to you is like, do you often worry that there are forces um, that are here to create, you know, these kind of doubts, these narratives. And, and because I'm almost sure that you do, like, are there things that you do, like, to try to make sure you're giving the most accurate and factual information? And, I, and I'm sure you do great work. So this isn't a hit on you. This is just me just thinking about how, even though I have disagreed with uh, much of, you know, Black Lives Matter from the, um, from the very beginning, um, I still have that in the back of my mind, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, and that's, you know, known um, from movements in the past, right? Is, is that infiltration and all sorts of things um, like that. Uh, for me, when I'm getting into any story, and this story in particular, it's about checking 
all the facts that I have. Um, just because somebody tells me something, I don't just run with it. Uh, and I think that's something that's a little different with this reporting versus reporting that's, or I wouldn't say a little different, but it's very different from reporting in the right wing media where there's a lot of insinuation, not much fact uh, um, outside of maybe one kernel of uh, uh, truth uh, or uh, just some speculation. Uh, so I, I avoid that at all costs. Um, anything that I'm reporting on, uh, I've verified and um, made sure that this, what I'm putting out there is in fact true, not just running with random statements that people have. It's backed up with documentation and other things. Uh, and in every uh, source, every person who I speak with, uh, I always keep in the back of my mind, um, like why they're talking to me, you know, like every, and it, it's true, it's for anybody working in media and especially investigative journalism, um, you should keep in your mind that somebody has their own reasons for talking with you. They could want to do some good in the world. They could want to harm an organization or person that has done them wrong. Um, there could be a whole host of things as to why someone is speaking to you uh, or sharing certain information with you. Um, now, it's my job to sift through uh, the information that I've received, what people tell me, what people say, and really figure out what the closest pieces to the truth there are. Um, you know, I don't have perfect knowledge. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm sitting at home, but, I, you know, this is a digital call, but I'm not going to tell you that I do. I, I find information and I check it and I talk with more people and I then make decisions on well, what is actually the story here and what does it really mean? There's, I can tell you this, I've talked with more people who have grievances and want to say X, Y, Z uh, than I report or that I write about. Um, and I, I don't speak about what they say. You know, I don't put that information out there. I put out the information. I talk about the information that I feel is worth uh, making its way to the public sphere. Once it hits that point, there's information that I have that didn't go into any other of those stories. And there's reasons behind that. There's various reasons behind it. Not to say that maybe I won't report uh, on some of the things that I've been told or that I've learned in the future, um, but also I might not. And it might not ever rise to that level where I feel comfortable that what I am putting out there is uh, worth uh, the public's good or worth the public knowing about. Because uh, hearsay, people saying um, somebody did X, Y, Z or this happened and it not necessarily being confirmed, uh, all that is not something that I'm in the business of doing. I'm in the business of getting to the truth, whatever that is, and getting as close to it as I can. Uh, and so with these first two stories, there's documentation, there's uh, numerous sources who confirm different things, and people close to the movement and experts uh, acting as kind of, you know, sanity checks. Because even there might be things that I think or you think or others uh, in this room might think about 
um, you know, the property or the murky finances or anything like that. But experts who don't have a horse in the game, but they just they uh, deal with all sorts of nonprofits or other areas, um, they can, you know, hear my facts, review them in certain certain capacities, and then offer what they think. And usually the experts and the experts that I have in my stories, you know, they're fairly reserved. You know, they, they'll say if there is something like uh, unstrategic use of resources, uh, but they're not just throwing out there that this is illegal or these people need to be, um, uh, uh, you know, castigated. You know, that's not in my stories. And in this most recent story, one of the experts did tell me, and I, uh, or uh, the ex- not, I wouldn't say one, there are multiple experts, but there, uh, one expert that I quoted in the story uh, said that there should probably be some sort of an investigation because I can only go so far in my reporting. Um, there are things that only come with subpoena power. Uh, and just there through there being an investigation, that could just prove there's nothing wrong. That's what you, you do when you do an investigation is you're trying to get to the bottom of things. Um, so, yeah, I don't... I. I I'm not in the habit of just trying to put something out there because it sounds scandalous. Um, the, the reporting that I think is different from what I've done, what we've done with New York Magazine uh, compared to previous reporting is that we're not just trying to get clicks or trying to get people riled up. Or I'm, we're legitimately trying to understand what's happening here, where money's gone, and um, address some of the concerns that have been raised uh, for years and honestly hasn't been reported on. Um, if that answers your question. So a, a yeah, question that I have is um, where it comes to, and I've, I've pointed this out, and it actually still frustrates me, is uh, the amount of people that got arrested um, attending protests and family members who uh, needed money to bury the victims of uh, police brutality and vigilant vigilanteism saw no support. Like they, they like all of this money was raised using the names of their uh, brutalized and deceased relatives, and yet that money didn't go to the people who actually needed it. So, going back to the influencer question, I mean, like, what was the influencing supposed to do in relation to the people? on whose behalf the marches and the fundraising supposedly took place? Uh, well, you're saying the influence, influencing that was done with this particular purchase, um, they hadn't announced it yet. Uh, so there hadn't, aside from what was Patrice Colors' YouTube, uh, there there hadn't been uh, much use for the home. Um, but, you know, if we look at some of the other uh, financial transactions, like I noted um, in the story back in January, um, the total amount of money spent on, say, Facebook ads for social and racial justice just to get information out there was less money than was paid to Damon Turner to live stream a, um, a, 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 a an election uh, video in 2020. Um, now, and that video had numerous errors. Um, this is just objectively like you can watch the stream and see them. Um, but also, uh, this isn't just like Facebook ads for 2020. This is Facebook ads since 2013 to 
now less than um, $148,000, which is what Damon Turner's company was paid for the live streaming event. Um, so to your point too, about how much money is making its way to the families and things like that. Um, the I'll say that the stated mission of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation in broad terms is to advance social and racial justice. And uh, in any way that they do that, big or small, um, they're within their rights to use funds to do it. Uh, if people don't like it, then they don't have to give them money. They don't have to support them. Um, we're talking just, just legally, legally speaking here. Uh, now, there isn't, as far as I'm aware, any language within their advancement of social racial justice that they're required to give money to any of the families. Now, I think if people who want to um, donate to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, and they think that that should be a part of uh, their mission, their cause, uh, or they just don't like the fact that, you know, there's money being raised on black pain, um, then they should, shouldn't give them money, shouldn't promote them. Uh, everybody's within their right to do that. Um, so that's, that, that's, I, I guess that's, that's the best that I can say to that point. Um, if it bothers you, if it bothers anyone that there has been money that's been collected, um, using people who have lost family members to police brutality and, or in the fight of social and racial justice or people being imprisoned, um, then you, you don't have to give money to them. You don't have to speak good of the organization. Uh, those are all things that individuals can do in response to learning more information. They should do. That's with everything that's within their right. The other question that I have is, uh, now that, I mean, in the, in the aftermath, um, what, if anything, do you think, uh, like where, where should the attention go instead? Because I think we can all agree that, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation is, is pretty much cooked. And in my opinion, like continuing to tether your, your name, regardless of, you know, whether you think that it has any viability or not, I think it's like, they've made the name Black Lives Matter a joke. So. Are there any other like groups, organizations, movements that you think uh, could get some attention instead? Uh, I always say look to your local organizers, um, but you, everyone before they donate money should, to any organization um, should research and look and see uh, what's actually being done and um, if they feel comfortable giving to that organization. I mean, better yet, just getting involved is the, the best thing a person can do. Uh, I think um, a lot of times people want to donate as a way of um, feeling like they're giving to a movement. And then once you've given money to the movement, uh, you're done. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, people, if you're going to have actions, you're going to have uh, people in the streets, like that's people doing that. And that's like, that's honestly the best thing anyone can do if they agree with these certain principles is get involved directly. Um, if it comes down to donating to money, um, research, see what's being done locally and give to the, give to those groups. If you don't 
like what you're seeing with the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Now, when it comes to the movement itself, uh, again, I don't want to uh, conflate the two. And I do think that there is, and I don't think I say I'll know, that there is work being done in Black Lives Matter as a movement that does advance social and racial justice. Now, it's unfortunate that um, there are questions with that because there are questions around the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. But again, the two aren't the same. And it can continue, the movement can continue to grow and to prosper uh, um, outside of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Um, something too that uh, it's honestly not asked of me that much. Um, uh, I think maybe one person has asked me, but I'll, I'll ask. I'll ask myself: uh, Is like why would I do these stories um, and continue to report on it? And the big reason for me is that there is so little money that's given to social and racial justice that if there's an organization that takes up a large chunk of that and is not um, giving money or not using those resources in a way that many within the movement agree with, that's a big problem. Because, you know, if there's um, a trillion dollar industry and somebody steals a billion dollars, sure, or takes a billion dollars and uses it for whatever, I don't want to say steal, but takes a billion dollars and uses it for whatever, that's a very small portion of whatever that trillion dollar industry is. But now if you're talking about a small amount of money that's given to social and racial justice, if one organization accounts for a large amount of money that's given to that space that people are already given to, and then there's a lot of questions around where the money's going and people um, have concerns about if that money's being used, used strategically, that hurts all the other people who and all the, all the other groups that are trying to do the work because they don't have that money that's gone to this one organization instead. Uh, so there could be if people don't like what's in the stories with the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, they can give to other groups that are working in the movement space. There, there, there are literally dozens, if not hundreds of groups locally um, working in this space or that are just working in community groups. Uh, you know, uh, before or while I was doing reporting, um, you know, I worked in a community center uh, in Sunnyside, Queens. So there's things like that that people can give to as well. You don't need to not give money um, just because there's issue issues with one organization. And I want to give Mike a little chance to uh, jump in. Uh, hello. Hey, y'all. Um, good conversation. Um, I just, uh, my question is with the understanding that you should not conflate the organization and the movement. Um, the question I have is that there still is, from my understanding, there's still quite a lot of money sitting in this organization. And so is it just going to sit there? I mean, I'm, I don't have any expectation that it's going to be like given to any of these smaller uh, groups or anything like that. But like, I'm just curious, do you have any information about like what happens next with it? Is it just like, oops, everybody gave all this money to this organization that I will call a sane organization, whether that's a 
fair assessment or not, but this money's been given to them. And so now it's there. And yeah. but it also seems like there's nobody running the store. So what like does it just stay there forever? Like is there any recourse? Is there like what I'm a little do you have any information about that? Yeah. So um I think the more pressure that's on the organization. So for one, the money is with the organization. Whatever money they've raised, whatever money they've received, um, as long as it's um, in line with proper nonprofit governance, the money would stay there. Even if it's honestly not in line with nonprofit governance, um, there usually there's uh, exemption of tax exempt status is one of the heaviest um, penalties that can come to an organization uh, that's a nonprofit. Uh, but the money still stays with the organization. Um, but uh, uh, for the organization, giving the organization the benefit of the doubt, if having this um, murky financial structure, um, resources being used strategically, the more that people speak out against the organization, and not the movement, but against the organization, that puts more pressure on them to uh, do the work of distributing and giving those resources out to the areas that their donors and the people who might want to continue donating money uh, to to do that. Um, because uh, as I mentioned before, a nonprofit organization can't uh, use money resources for private individuals. So the money that's with the organization right now, it still has to uh, legally anyway, spend the money uh, for the advancement of its mission, which is social and racial justice. So um, the more pressure the organization has from people, from donors to use the money in line with how they believe uh, the organization should use it, uh, that, um, you know, and it doesn't incentivize them, it gives them uh, well, it, does, it incentivizes the organization to spend the money in line with their donors or the people who might be future donors, because that's what drives organizations, foundations, is that they do work that people recognize and that they agree with and that they then give more money in the future. Um, if people don't like that, then organizations don't last. They eventually fade away. Um, now, uh, um, that could happen here and then it could not happen. Uh, we don't know what will happen in the future. Uh, the money does need to be dispersed in some way that's in line with the organization's mission. Uh, and however much those funds are, the more that people have issues with what they're seeing with it currently being spent or with the governance and whatever else, uh, the more incentivized the organization is to um, do what they're hearing from the public. Uh, you know, one of the things that's happened since the story came out is they publicly announced members of a board, uh, which they hadn't previously done before. They, um, they had on some uh, 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 990 filings uh, or some previous tax filings, I won't say the, the 990s, but on some other tax filings and other documents, they had a board, which um, was fairly sparse, but now they've publicly announced three board members that I know of. They gave a tweet out for that. Um, and there could be more things coming where 
people aren't just accepting that you've got the money, you're going to do good with it. People might want to see more financial transparency. They want to know exactly where their money's going. Uh, and they want to see this money being put to good use. So the more pressure the organization has that has on them to do that, the more likely they are to do that, uh, to, to have, to give the money to the places that people are saying the money needs to go, uh, and to make sure it's accurately recorded, uh, and tracked and traced in that way. Can I ask just a quick follow-up question to that? Um, it's actually, it's kind of a two-parter. One is that, in your view, how does one meaningfully make a distinction between the movement and this organization? And, uh, and two, I know that Patrice Colors has gone around sort of saying things about you, and also he said bizarre shit like, 990s are anti-black and that sort of thing. And, and he says this to like audiences that sort of eat that kind of thing up. And so that for me then feeds into this question of like, how does one make this distinction meaningfully between the movement and organization at this point? Like, is there an effective way that you have seen that, is, that gains traction? Because um, I just, I still struggle with how you, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I would just say you just call it out, right? Uh, and people have done that. I've seen that more now than I think uh, I did with the first article, um, where you, you, when things are said and people are like, this isn't the movement, or the, people are asking legitimate questions here. Um, so part of what lets those kinds of messages thrive, if you don't agree with them, is that people don't speak out against it. Um, it just happens now in any kind of a room, you know, I think we'd be assuming, uh, that like you were saying that people in those audiences, uh, you know, eat it up, that they just take it whole cloth. I don't necessarily know that that's true. Uh, some people might question exactly what's being said. I know specifically for what you were talking about the nine nineties, uh, there were plenty of people in the organizing space, um, in the black media space that um, did not like the responses they were receiving. There's been a lot of responses that have come from Patrice Colors and others within the organization that have not been accepted, even as they've said them. And I think part of that is that people speak out when they say certain things that just don't ring true or don't ring correct, um, letting them know, like, no, this, this isn't enough. It's not enough to say that 990s are triggering um, because 990s are what every nonprofit organization files at some point. Uh, that there's laws around that. That's what allows you to be a nonprofit. Uh, now, you know, I think it's up to people when they hear these kinds of things to really think. Okay, so there's a person who's saying that they are a proven nonprofit expert and leader. And that they didn't know what a 990 was after having numerous nonprofits to their name, um, you know, those are things that people probably should rightly question and add, ask for better answers. Um, I know there was a uh, um, a talk. I can't remember the name of the university off the top of my head, um, but there's a historical black college where uh, Patrice Colors was uh, invited to speak um, shortly after the first article. Uh, published and um, some of the students protested having her speak. 
So that's where I say where, where I think it's assuming a lot to say that just because they say or certain things are said that they're received exactly how the um, person saying them uh, uh, wants them to be received. Um, in the case of the most, this recent article and the article before that, uh, I think the facts are starting to speak for themselves and people are rightly wanting more answers. Um, and there's been other impacts to, uh, you know, the state of Indiana has sued uh, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Uh, that was that happened, um, that was announced last week. So there are things in the works to uh, compel the organization to not just say um, X, Y, and Z, but to actually start making some meaningful changes and addressing some of the questions and issues. Uh, and I think an important point is to not lose sight of um, the impact that everyday people can have just by uh, voicing your concerns. I mean, that's what a lot of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is centered around is people speaking out and speaking to power. I want to give uh, Gabby a chance to ask her a question. Hi. Yeah, I feel like this is a little bit of a deja vu since January, but um, there is one thing that I feel like I just can't really get past, which is the fact that and I know, Sean, you know, you keep saying, like, you don't have to, you know, throw whatever, 50 bucks to the BLM, the, you know, organization. But that's not really what I'm concerned about. My issue is actually more so with, you know, how do you stop, not stop, but, like, I guess, like, where are we on the big corporations? I mean, I covered venture capital for a lot for a long time, and I feel like this organization reminds me more of a startup, to be honest, than a nonprofit. But I mean, a lot of the money came from the Nikes, the Amazons, the DoorDashes of the world, right? So like, I guess, like, where are we on that? Like, are we because I'm going to be honest, like, as a reporter, I've had tons of press releases around Ukraine, for example, and, you know, being like, hey, look at, you know, the portions were, I mean, just essentially brands sending me emails about it. And like, I don't have a problem repri replying by being like, Hey, like, how much did you donate to Afghanistan? Or, you know, have you donated? Mm. Is, this a, is there a precedent to this? Because I think a lot of times they are stumped from my experience because a lot of these brands need to put out these press releases most of the time. And I think there is something to be said. And I know I'm sure you're working or have worked on some portion of this. But as a reporter, like, I am just kind of over the optics of it. And it's like if, if Nike doesn't do the, do, you know, doesn't do their due diligence of, researching what BLM account they're putting their money in, then like, I don't think it should really be blamed on the individual, in my opinion. It's just, yeah. So I just wanted mm -hmm. to ask, and this isn't just a question to you. I think I just wanted to kind of voice it to the room and what you guys think of who should really be, who should we really be worrying about, I guess, as far as the money continuing to funnel? Because also, by the way, the um, these founders are also now creating their own sort of like auxiliary, auxiliary um, you know, nonprofits or sort of like, I don't know, startups or whatnot that are already attracting uh venture capital so i just think there's yeah. a bigger story about funding there yeah yeah so and i think to that point too and when i say um like when i say individual i mean donors just broadly and donors can be an individual person can be corporations can be anybody who wants to give money and you know uh i think we're all aware that uh corporations when they're giving money to social and racial justice they're not doing it 
out of you know ben straight benevolence, but because it gets them some social cachet that lets them sell more sneakers, sell more clothes, etc. I mean, I covered that uh, in the first article. Um, now, uh, uh, as people start to voice their concerns, the social capital that a Nike, that a Levi's, that any of these companies would be hoping to get by donating to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, if people are upset and have voiced their concerns against the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation because they don't like what they're seeing, then the amount of returns that they would get on that social capital diminishes. So that's where you see that kind of change happening with the corporations because they're no longer incentivized to give money to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation uh, if enough people are concerned about how that money is being spent. Um, I mean, you've seen, you, there's numerous examples where nonprofits uh, have found, been found to have multiple issues, numerous issues, same thing in the corporate world, uh, where people stop giving money to them because of the concerns in and around um, the, or, the organizations. Um, so there can be a change there. And some of that has started to happen. Um, as a, for instance, uh, as I noted in the most recent article, Amazon uh, Smile dropped them from their charity platform until they released uh, information that brought them in line with um, what, what met their standards for charity giving. They hadn't done that before, but then their new information arises and they become concerned uh, because other people are concerned about how money is being spent and uh, the tracking and transparency around that. So they drop them from their fundraising platform. Uh, and other corporations can do that as well. Whether or not they do, you know, who's to say? But I think as more people really do um, speak out about things that concern them with the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, the less likely they're to give money to that organization or continue to give money uh, because again, they're just, they're just not buying the social capital that they would hope to get from it. If the majority of people or if a lot enough people um, don't believe that the money is being used how it should. Now the money that's already been given, if people have issues with that. I, I, as I said, kind of at the top, you know, the, you, you, you don't have really a say in how an organization uses the money that's been given. Once you give the money, you're kind of saying, I believe you're going to use this in the way that I intend it. Um, you should know where the money you're giving it to. You're giving it to the right places. Uh, but outside of that, you give the money because for whatever reason, whether you've done your research or not, that you think that uh, the organization is going to advance a cause you care about, in this case, social and racial justice. Now, if more information comes to light and you don't think that the organization is doing that, then you don't have to give to them. And you shouldn't. If you don't think that it the mission aligns with how you'd like to see your money go, then you shouldn't give to them. Uh, and that holds true for corporations as well. And as more of that, uh, I, I think this is where it's important to not conflate the two between the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation and the movement, as that becomes more of a public knowledge 
that these two are not the same and you do not have to give to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation to give to the movement, uh, then, um, uh, you know, corporations can build their cachet by giving to some of these local groups or other groups that are operating in this space. Um, so that's a way that I can envision things changing uh, going forward. And again, this is if people have issues with uh, some of the things that I've reported on. Um, I know I read one article, I think it was with NBC, where uh talked about people who didn't have a problem with it. And if you don't have a problem with some of the issues that uh, uh, I, I've reported on, then you don't have a problem with it. You can continue to give money to the organization if you think that that's the best use of your funds. Um, but I think as more information gets out there and if more and more people do have issues with it, uh, then money will start to dry up from numerous sectors. Uh, real quick, the NBC article, is that the one that uh, is titled Great Sign or Very Unfortunate Black Lives Matter Supporters Split Over a $6 Million Purchase? Uh, I think that might be it. That sounds that sounds right. Okay. I, I was curious because I, I never heard about this article, so I'm curious to read it. Uh, okay. So we're going to end it with uh, Joshua. So um, we're going to just let Owen unmute real quick. He's been waiting a while. And then after Joshua... We're going to um, call it for a night. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Sean, for being so patient, and we're going to try to wrap wrap this up soon. So, uh, Owen, yeah. feel free to give your question. Sure thing. Thank you again, Sean, for being here and everybody. Um, my question was, since the celebrity activist is an uh, ever-evolving class amongst the black elite, how do you think this new class of celebrity activists will be used to affect or manipulate major upcoming elections and the newly growing popularity of labor organizations? Oh, yeah, I can't speak to that. Um, yeah, I, that's that's outside the scope of the reporting. Um, so, and I don't want to just speculate uh, on that. But thank you for the question. I think you should look into it and think about it and continue doing research on that. I know um, people have been looking uh, into that particular area, but I can't speak to that. All right, um, thank you. Okay, thanks for that question, Owen. It was a, it was a great question. Um, so, yeah, Joshua, we are uh, going to end it with you. That sounds wrong for all of us because I got on this call because I was kicked out of another liberalist, masochist, misogynist call. Well, I probably wasn't kicked out. I just I dropped out because it was complete fucking utter bullshit. Uh, anyway, so this is Media Masochist. Seems like the place to for me. Um, so what are we discussing exactly? Like, <laughs> recap it for me so I can fucking weigh in. What are you, what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> are you serious right I now? Don't have to, I don't have to explain it to you. I want you to recap it so I can then go off if I want to go off. Nah, we're good, man. Uh, T, what, what are you going to do with this, bro? Oh no! It's, it's, it's done. <laughs> I was just, I was just fishing around. Uh, I was only delayed because I was looking for the button. I couldn't find. I, I couldn't find the button to remove from the queue. <laughs> yeah. At first, at first, I thought it was a. At first, I thought it was a, a joke, and you knew the guy. A bit for a second. Yeah, 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 I thought it was a bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I guess I guess there that's is also to end a it. Uh, there's a synopsis in in the description of this. So. 
he could have just read that. Yeah, I think he just. I think according to what he said, he tried to talk somewhere else and he kicked him out. So he just needed to get that energy out somewhere. So he just picked a <laughs> random room, which is just awesome. Yeah. Like, I just like the idea that I just need to yell at somebody right now. So if I can't get into the room I wanted to, I'm just going to pick another room and yell at liberals. Yeah. So that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, great place to end it. Uh, any final um, thoughts, plugs, anything that you're working on, whether it's related to this or not, that you want people to check out? Uh, you know, though, I'm going to continue following the reporting, uh, especially in and around this space. Um, so people will know about it when I when I tweet it. Uh, great. So uh, last thing I'll say to people is to um, follow Sean on uh, Twitter. Did you give your Twitter handle yet? I don't recall. Uh, uh, no, I don't think I did. It's uh, at Sean underscore Kev. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, at Sean underscore Kev on Twitter if you want to uh, be kept abreast of the next article that he does. And were you going to say something else? Uh, no, well, it's, I think it's capital S, capital K. Uh, I think if you just search for my name on Twitter, you should be able to find it. Um, if anyone's curious about any of the other work that I've done, um, my website is seankevin.com. Um, so you can see some of the other investigations I've done. Um, I put a lot of time into making sure that I get things right. And there's issues that I've looked into about how systems have failed people in the black community um, beyond just black lives matter. Uh, so great. You can check great. that out too, if you like. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is uh, follow everybody on the stage, but also follow the show. Like for some reason, I have twice as many followers on the personal account than on the show account. And uh, you should definitely, um, you know, follow the show just in case there's some episodes that, you know, I'm not on, you will still be notified because that, that can happen. So yeah, feel free to also follow the show as well as the actual individuals on, on the stage. The show has its own separate account and yeah, thanks everybody for joining both on the stage and in the audience, even uh, Joshua, I really was entertaining. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you came through too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, everybody have a good night and we'll talk again soon. Take care. Yes. All right, thanks, guys.